Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Launching a book isn't easy, but it can also launch you into a whole new life. What's important now is that I am a best-selling author and that's awesome. I found my soul on this journey. I found my purpose, you know, in life. In this show, I talk to authors about how they launched and how it took them to the next level. Hi there. I'm your host, Anna David, host of Launchpad, podcast all about books, how to launch them, and what they can do for your career. Uh, Today's such a special episode. It is an interview with not just the coolest guy I've ever met, but the coolest guy anyone who's ever met him has ever met. His name is Chris Voss. Uh, He was the lead international kidnapping negotiator for the FBI. Uh, He was trained in the art of negotiation, not just by the FBI, but Scotland Yard and Harvard Law. He teaches at Georgetown. He has so many things he does that it would be impossible, even if I spent the whole episode reading his bio, to tell you. Right now, he uh, he's had his company, the Black Swan Group, which teaches negotiation skills. And he runs it with his son, Brandon, and his uh, daughter-in-law works there. And most relevantly for what we're talking about today, he is the author of Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as If Your Life Depended on It, a book that has currently sold over a million copies. So he was an amazing guest because we could not only talk about the difference his book has made in his career, which is mammoth, but how he is able to apply his negotiation skills to a book launch. He had so many great tips. Uh, One is about Quora, which I thought was pretty surprising. One is about doing very small podcasts, doing all the things people ask you to do, no matter how small, And, um, and really, really just hitting the ground running in terms of your book launch. And he really talks about why spending years promoting your book is so, so worth it. So as usual, if you enjoy this podcast, giving it a star rating, ideally a five-star rating, really helps other people find it. So did I mention that this is episode 313, and you can get the show notes if you want. That includes a full transcript and links to where you can find out more about Chris. All you have to do is go to launchpadpub.com slash blog slash Voss. That is V-O-S-S. And now I give you Chris Voss. Let's do it. We're doing it. So as I said, Chris, I'm so grateful to you for doing this. Um, What what those listening don't know is that I gave you such a guilt trip about my <laughs> Facebook friend request that really this was strategic of you to just say yes. Is that true? I, I thought it was that you charmed me. I didn't realize that you gave me a guilt trip. I thought you were charming. 
Well, this is why you're so good at what you do. The backstory <laughs> is I heard you speak at Genius Network Annual last fall. And I, like everyone else there, was like, this guy is incredible. Started applying everything you said to every negotiation I had, read the book, sent you a Facebook friend request, and you wrote me back. And, and do you always do this? You said, why did you send me a request? Only for the most charming. I, what, to what did I owe this honor is, is what I needed to know. Um, so you meant it like, why am I so lucky? Not like, why do you think I would say yes? <laughs> That's exactly right. That's it exactly. Um, anyway, and so then How I... How did fortune smile upon me? <laughs> So then, of course, I see you again, and I need to give you a hard time about this, and you and you take it like a like the pro that you are. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. So, so I so like I said, this is going to be different than your other interviews because we're really talking specifically about the book, which has five thousand reviews on Amazon. Did yeah, you even crazy, know that? Right? Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. Insane. People love it. It's it helps them. It makes an impact in their life. I, I, it has made a huge impact in my life. And I want to, there, there are things that the, the ones that the things that you have taught that I use all the time are, um, are I'm about to ask you something and it may ruin your day. Like really a setup for a very small favor. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. Very nice. And have you given up on, have you given up on? Exactly. Driving uh, for no. So, so let's talk about uh, your decision to do a book. I'm assuming publishers came to you and asked you to do it. No. Not only did they not come to me, I mean, significant amount of negative thinking encountered in the process. I should have kept the guy's name. One agency wouldn't even represent me. And because, he, you know, and this is unfortunately typical of a lot of people, quote, in the entertainment industry. The only reason I'll talk to you is to tell you why what you want to do is a bad idea. And then for some reason, it's so stupid. They think they're earning a living by shooting people down. You don't get anything done by shooting somebody down. This guy spent a lot of time on the phone with us explaining why nobody would want, want the book or why it wouldn't, wouldn't sell. Have you heard from him? You don't remember who he is. <laughs> you know, I tend to put people like that in my rearview mirror. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, it's not my style to memorize the dude's name other than now, actually, interestingly enough, um, I am grateful for people like that. And if somebody comes back up in my head, first thing that I do, uh, I got a gratitude exercise that I came upon because of my con our training. One of our mutual contacts is strategic coach mm -hmm. and, uh, through their training and their teaching. I, I, my exercise is I forgive you and then I'm grateful for you. And with, with people that have a negative impact on my life, I forgive them and I'm actually grateful for them. Because they lead you to the person who will be the conduit. Yeah, or they taught you a great lesson or, you know, probably they taught you a great lesson. They, you know, and, and, this, and this bozo from previously, you know, taught me about perseverance and who doesn't need that? So this is how we're opposite. I still remember the name of the person who did that to me 15 years ago. And I still wish him badly. I mean, I'm sort of joking. <laughs> I'm sort of joking, but I'm sort of not. I do remember him. And I do think, you know, so-called gatekeepers, in the same way that we were talking before we started recording about how no one knows what's going to happen. 
an agent who's shutting you down does not know what's going to happen, but certainly talks like they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's just, um, uh, you know, they, and they inadvertently they add to your life. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I got I to gotta maximize. I got to do everything I can possibly do to stay in a positive frame of mind. And so that's why I run that exercise. It's not for them. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I went to one of those, I can't remember what the training session was in Los Angeles. But, you know, people are, you know, everybody in L.A. is doing, you know, touchy-feely stuff. And uh, a lot of it is really good. So I'm at this touchy-feely two-, three-day thing. And it worked, And there's an exercise where you talk about people who marked us. And then you got to go out, recontact them, and forget them. So this one young lady's talking about this, uh, you know, these girls, mean girls, picked on her when she was a kid. She'd been carrying it for 30 years. On being encouraged to go forgive the person, the person was like, wow, I have no memory of that. So the other thing that's insane is you're carrying this resentment with someone who doesn't even remember it happened. How stupid is that? You know, not only are you t- drinking poison hoping they die, but they're completely oblivious that it ever happened, which is another stupid reason why it's working against you. I know, I know. It's just that tiny ego that lives inside all of us that thinks exacting revenge is the way to even the score. And it's just lying. It's just yeah, a lie. It's, it's, it's in your head. We're wired to think like that. And so, yeah, every, like you said, everybody's got it. So, okay, so you already had your co-author when you went to this agent and got this negative feedback because you said we. No, no. Um, my first step was, of course, to try to find a co-author. And my son, Brandon, is the uncredited co-author. I mean, the book is really written by three people. My son, Brandon, me, and Tall Rise. Now, we went through a total of four writers. Everybody, I fired everybody on along the way before we ended up with Tall Rise. You know, I mean, you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go as a team. You pull your team together carefully to get it right. And, you know, I did bring someone on board initially as, as a writer and actually was on the second possible writer. So I thought I had a partner when we went shopping for agents. And what I'm really grateful for the second guy that I fired was he got me to the right agent. Steve Ross was a Agent, agent of my book at the time was with Abrams Artist Agency. He's now got his own agency. And Steve was perfect. And Steve, first guy gave me any encouraging feedback. He said, look, there are a lot of negotiation books out there. I don't know how this one's going to do. Got no idea. But I can tell you that it'll sell like crazy overseas. I also agented Joe Navarro. Joe Navarro wrote a book called What Everybody Is Telling You. He's a F, former FBI profiler. He's written a number of great books on body language. He's written with, one with uh, a couple of poker people. He's done, he's done poker tells. And Steve repped him, and he said, Joe's books sold like hotcakes overseas. Overseas, they love FBI books. So I don't know how it'll do domestically, but I guarantee you will do well internationally. And because of Steve, the book is in over 30 countries and in over 27 languages. So Steve was a critical agenting piece of the team that the other guys who didn't work out, but they brought me to Steve. And so Steve sold the book and. Well, the sell of the book was ended up being a little bit nuts too. If if I could interrupt. Please tell. 
So he's, you know, we, we pulled together finally with yet another writer that didn't last, but the next guy, uh, two guys later, um, wrote the book proposal and did a, did a phenomenal job on a proposal. It was not tall. Steve is like, all right, so let me, let me throw this out in the environment, see what happens. He didn't expect much of a response. Publishers went bananas. He's now got over 30 publishers knocking on his door. He's in a little bit of a panic. He's like, because I'm in D.C., he's in New York. He says, you got to come up to New York, spend a week talking to the publishers. And I said, no. And he's like, no, what do you mean no? I'm like, I got obligations. And what I believe in as a person and what the Black Swan Group believes in is we keep our obligations. Now, the vast majority of the places that I'd agreed to be were for little or no pay because we were building our, our brand at the time. We were establishing a, um, a presence. And you do a lot of stuff for free if you get visibility out of it. And I said, over the coming month, I got one free day, period. And Steve's like, I, and he says, well, you going to move your calendar? I said, no, these are obligations. We do not back out of obligations. So he goes, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do an auction. We did the auction right before Halloween. He's like, this is going to be a problem because everybody's going to be having Halloween office parties. But we did a 24-hour auction. The thing took off like wildfire. And, you know, bang, we, we ended up with HarperCollins. We, we, we scheduled a day of interview after interview after interview. We threw half the publishers out. We took the top half. We had a day of hour-long interviews, talked to nine publishers, opened up the auction. Hollis Heimbach with uh, HarperCollins, Harper Business, came in. We were on the same sheet of music with Hollis. They came in. They came in with a top bid. We loved Harper. Harper loved us. A whole lot of love going around. Tall Raj wrote a magnificent book. And in the prop prep for the getting it out, Tall, who's an experienced dude, you know, he's got everything he touches, New York Times bestseller. He looks me in the eye says, you're going to have to hustle this for no less than a year, probably at least two. Be prepared to put the hammer down, put the pedal to the metal. And I'm the kind of guy, I'm like, okay, cool. Somebody, li listen to somebody who knows what they're talking about. Never take advice from somebody you wouldn't trade places with. Tall's a New York Times bestseller. I would trade places with Tall any day of the week. He says, go out, put the hammer down for two years. I'm going to put it down for four. I'm going to put it down for five. I'm going to put it down for six. I'm going to outwork. You tell me what to do. I'm going to outwork everybody else on the planet. And now the book has been on the top 20 most read, most sold on Amazon for over 80 weeks. And what year was this? When, when, well, when did it, was it acquired and when did it come out exactly? What was the book, time difference? Book dropped um, 2016, May of 2016. Harper bought it about a year and a half before that. It yeah. was about a year and a half to get it out. Once, once we got all the pieces in place. And what did Harper say that the other ones didn't? What made you go with them? You know, the bottom line was, and that's what I asked Steve. I said, what's going to make the difference here? He says, you know, what their advance indicates a level of commitment. True. So, you know, their advance, they're, they're like their book publishers are like VCs. You know, they're buying a startup. You got to have a plan. You got to have a product. You got to you got to give them reason to believe that you will execute. A good idea is never enough. We got tall on board. 
told, knows how to execute. We get Steve on board. Steve knows the game. We put a, we put a, um, you know, a book proposal in front of them, which is a business plan. That's all it is. That's all a book proposal is a business plan. You want investors? Give them an idea that you can pull together a plan and that you could be adaptable. And because the investor is going to spend uh, rolling a dice on you. Can you plan? Can you adapt? That's what they're really looking for. And so Harper was like, you know, we kind of like this. You know, we'll, we'll bet on this. We'll, we're willing to bet more on this than anybody else will. And when you say you put the pedal to the metal, what specifically does that mean? Yeah, great question. So I'd always heard. You know, the legend is the chicken soup for the soul, folks, in their first book said, I am not going to bed unless I talk to somebody every single day about this book. And so the goal was to talk to somebody. I didn't care if it was a homeless guy. And, you know, I also remember hearing about Tony Robbins's early days when he would schedule up to three talks a day. And my son and I, you know, we're hard workers from the Midwest. You know, tell us how hard to work and we're going to try and outdo you. So our goal was we got to start talking to people. It doesn't matter who it is. Don't rely on the publishers. Don't rely. We had, we had marketing people. We'd hired a PR firm. Don't rely on them. Outwork them. So we started reaching out to uh, uh, podcasts, you know, Tim Ferriss. I knew his example from his example in his first book, the four hour work week was he hunted down all the top bloggers in existence at the time, sat down with each of them, had dinner with them. So my goal was who are the influencers? I'm going to hunt them down. And I, I don't care. You, you, again, start small. And one of the first podcasts I went on, I, you know, I don't know what the, the view was. But I'm like, you know, get out there and get after everybody. And then the, then the game, game get real game-changing uh, move. Opening day was good. You know, I got on Fox Business. I got on a couple of Fox shows that, was, that had a massive impact, which went away quickly. But we hit the Amazon top 10 day one. Um, top 10, not just nonfiction, everything. And then, then it started to tail away. It started to tail away badly after that. I get turned on to Ryan Holiday with Black Brass Check. Best money I ever spent in my life. Ryan Holiday, so, solid dude on so many reasons. And he's like, you know, we will get you into the top podcast and then it'll take off after that. Ryan got me on Lewis House. Lewis, and Lewis House is huge and, a, and it hit hard him there. His, he did a great interview. Lewis has a great interview. Then the other podcast jumped on because they saw Lewis. And the other thing I dug about Ryan Holiday was, you know, uh, most, many advisors, they want to they they become a dependent. You know, they want to go on uh, a monthly retainer. I don't do monthly retainers. We don't like, we, we don't like dependents. Monthly retainers to me are a sign of being lazy. You don't, you don't want to go out there and, and hit it every day. And now, now we just don't, we don't tolerate it at all. I won't give anybody a, retainer contract just don't do it um and ryan didn't want to uh to go to be independent he said this is what we're going to charge you for a month a month period hit hard and he says all right we're done i'm like all right cool i'm gonna listen to this guy he's supposed to know what he he's got new york times bestsellers himself so then uh i actually came back to ryan a year later 
And I go like, man, you hit it. You hit us one of the best months ever last year. Um, let's do it again. And he's like, no, we did our thing for you. And what we would do would be simply a duplicate of what we already did. You are already there. I'm not going to do you any good by taking more of your money. And I was like astonished. Like who turns you down? And that's why, I mean, I'm a huge Ryan Holiday fan. I got all his books. I read them all. But besides being a great writer and being great at so many other things, he's an ethical dude. And if he can't help you, he will not take your money. And there are not people, very many people out there that are like that. I'm a huge Ryan Holiday fan. Uh, echoing that, I have read everything he does. And there, I admire him as a marketer as much as I do an author. And he's got this thing in the perennial bestseller, which he says, and I'm always quoting it. It's basically when he wrote, trust me, I'm lying. When he wrote the book proposal, he said he was targeting people who work in social media, very small segment of the population. And his point was you conquer a niche and you conquer the world. And in a way, do you think you did that? This was a book that was geared towards entrepreneurs, would you say? Who was your target audience? You know, it, it, is, it has gotten the most traction with entrepreneurs and then follow on with salespeople that are kind of entrepreneurs because, you know, they eat what they kill. And if they don't kill something, pretty soon they ain't eating. They're out the door. So, yeah, very entrepreneurial mindset. And, okay, and so, so you got Ryan on board. You're doing Lewis Howes. Uh, did you do a book tour? What were, besides podcasts, what were some of your biggest game changers book tours in and of themselves the biggest waste of time you could possibly do uh did a couple early on just because they said i should and and i'd heard they were a waste of time book signing you know uh the, the only time you should go out on the book in and of itself is opening day day one and get on tv your news story get on get on get on the right tv show which ain't that hard because if your book is right for that tv show they want you on because they need the news um, but no, book tours, no, I, we really went after podcasts and then constantly giving content, you know, as much content as possible. And I think the podcast made the biggest difference. And then, you know, we've always had the newsletter as a supplement to the book, as a supplement to all our training. So always want to make sure no matter where we went, we scored additional value. You know, make sure you get paid doesn't have to be dollars, just understanding what value you, in fact, are going to walk away, no matter what. If it's a miserable failure, what's your value? And we decided we'd gotten a lot of advice on building the newsletter. You know, build the newsletter one subscriber at a time. I know another guy taught me the one person at a time thing has a multi-million dollar business right now, a guy named Jason McCarthy, who runs a company called GoRock. He was a student of mine in Georgetown and a multi-million dollar business. He built one person at a time. So I knew that one person and it work ethic. I knew the one person at a time thing. I knew the work ethic. So we're going out with only constructing each and every event where we will at least walk away with subscribers. So then everything that happens and it could be one subscriber, you know, and we, we've always had at least a 10% conversion rate. So I get 10 people in a room, we're going to get one subscriber. Our rates are actually much higher than that. But give me 10%, because I know the 3% is an acceptable rate. We can get 10. So, you know, 
make sure you get paid something of value, even if it's only a single subscriber. And then everything just kind of starts coming together and flowing together. But Were be willing able- to take one. Take one yep. and you get paid. Were you able to use the book as a sort of lead magnet for that? Is there anything in the book where somebody can sign up? Do you mention the newsletter? Was that a technique that you used? No, a lot, a lot of people have. Um, we've got some stuff at the end. We've got our website at the end. Uh, we have probably have underexploited the value of the back pages in the book. Um, but we've you know, sufficiently now built... My daughter-in-law, you know, keep it in the family. You know where to find them if you have problems. You know, you're going to know where they are. If I don't know where my son or my daughter-in-law is, my mom does. So I can find them if I need them. And that's Maya? Um, yeah, Maya. Maya. Yeah, she's, she's a marketing genius. She's built a sufficiently, you know, again, one, one brick at a time, one stick at a time. She built out our website, and she loves marketing. And so now we can get away with not having properly set up the back pages of the book. Um, but, you know, that's absolutely, that's valuable real estate that you should set up. Um, give, give them some place to go at the end of the book. We've, we have uh, insufficiently exploited that. And because of Maya, we've gotten away with it. And so, you know, going back to what you said about getting on the news shows, uh, Finding an angle, you know, I noticed just Googling you yesterday, you've been quoted in the last 24 hours in a Today Show story about negotiating stress during the pandemic. Oops. And then a CNBC story about negotiating a payday cut as a result of the pandemic. Are these angles you're thinking of or are people coming to you with these? No, they're thinking of them coming to us. I mean, we try, we try to throw out as many seeds as possible in other places. Um, uh, and again, in the early days, what do we do? Where do we plant those seeds? You know, uh, Quora, um, you know, answering questions there and then ultimately, you know, pitching, answering 10 questions on, on the, the Quora digest. I mean, that's valuable. I remember reading, I remember hearing, I didn't read it. I've heard it, uh, that Gary V started going on Quora and answering every single question he could. And he outworked people on Quora. I mean, if you're putting value out there and you're willing to put in the work, there are people there that are, need you. You just got to, you know, you, it's kind of like searching for lost children. You got to get out there and you got you to you work and look for them and keep pumping it out. And so the core thing uh, was big. And then you, get, you answer a few questions and you get to the point where you can answer 10 questions and, you know, they start, people start putting up questions and they vote on them. You, you, you answer the top 10. Well, you give a good enough answer, then journalists go there and they're going to they're gonna take your, your answer and they're going to copy and paste because there are no shortage of journalists that need quality content. So where they're looking in these same places where you're trying to build yourself up. You come up with a decent, readable answer you're going to get rewarded because you help a journalist do their job. And that's really how a lot of those things get seeded. You package something so that somebody looking for it who needs it, you make it easier for them to pick it up. And that's where most of the, most of the journalism stuff starts to come from. And then when they do, you reward the hell out of them. How? You know, follow them on Twitter, re, you know, retweet. They put something up on you. You know, they're looking for value from you. Retweet it. 
you know, star it, you know, share it, thank them. You know, if your gratitude, ex your demonstrations of gratitude exceed what people will give you, they will always be happy to give you something because they're going to get more in return. Which again, you know, be, be grateful for anything. And if, if you get the time to do it, show your gratitude in a way that exceeds the love that they showed you in the first place. God, that's genius. Did, so were you, Chris Voss, going on Quora yourself? And how many, if you were, how many questions were you answering a day? And was that, that was preceding the book, correct? Yeah, well, once, once, once the book was out there, you know, I, I, getting the book out was a, the real issue. And we had a marketing, a professional, traditional firm that was adequate. Um, you know, and they did, you know, we didn't know any better. I didn't know what to do with the money. You know, uh, we, but we took some of the advance and paid for advertising ourselves because Steve said, you know, you rely upon the publisher to do all the work. They really want to supplement what you do. They want to see they're going to be encouraged by your hard work to do more. You know, they'll take a couple of steps and you would think to yourself that they should work really hard to protect their investment. But if you're going to be lazy, it's not going to do them any good. So show them that you're going to outwork them. So the first move was to hire a, tra a traditional publicist who kind of did a traditional job. I mean, they, they were okay. I'd give, them, I'd give them a B plus, but principally, you know, the founder of that delegated it to stuff who were contractors. And so I made a relationship with the contractors in case they spun out and didn't last. And sure enough, they didn't last. You know, my relationship was with the little people, the little people that actually did the work. And so I stuck with them and I, and I threw them some follow-on business after, you know, as we continue to hammer, where are you, what are you doing? You're out on your own now. Cool. Let's do some stuff. So, mm -hmm. you know, the team, it's, you know, it's a team and not everybody on the team is going to be, the person you want them to be, but more than likely they're going to lead you to the person that you need. So, you know, just, just keep going, keep, keep long, long the team. It's the team. It always comes back to the team. And it's the same thing that you said about agents and writers. They lead you, even if they're the wrong person, they lead you to the right person. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's no downside anywhere. If you want, if you want to, to, to see it. So how would you say the book changed your career? Oh God, everything. I mean, Everybody kept saying, do a book. It doesn't have to be any good. Uh, there's no better marketing tool. There's no better calling card. And, and, to, to some, uh, and for many reasons, that's true. So it, it then becomes the most valuable business card you ever had. Even if the book doesn't, even if the only people that actually pay for copies are, are, are your parents. And, you know, I got to give, and I can't make my mom buy a copy. I got to give her copies anyway, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but like that Rolling Stone line from way back when, you know, buy three copies for my mother. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was the only one who had to buy my books for my mom. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, the book, book is a game changer because then it's free market. Yep. And if, even if you, as a, as a consultant, as an advisor, as a trainer, so you want somebody to come on board with you, your social proof, if, if you don't have a book, their first question is why? And they don't care how many it's sold. The ability to get out a book is a, enough of a belief in your own system to put it down on paper, even if it's self-published. 
security guy in DC told me uh, while we were getting this process started, he self-published a book on security and paid the fee to get it into bookstores because it was self-published. You know, you're self-published, you're nobody. You want to be in Hudson News because they're in all the airports and the train stations, and that's where people pick up their business news. Hudson knows how valuable that real estate is. You're a nobody. You couldn't even get a traditional publisher. So, and they know that they're, that's a marketing tool for you. That's advertising space. You pay for advertising space. They're like, all right, you want some of our valuable real estate? This is a billboard in one of the world's greatest locations. So this guy says, all right, I'm self-published. That makes sense to me. He pays to get into uh, the bookstores. Business people pick up his book, and he says, if I'd have had an idea how much of an impact this was going to have on my company, this is the best marketing I ever, I ever, I ever did. I mean, it, it, it impacted. He's probably sold 5,000 copies in total. But they were, if somebody picked up that copy, they were a business person. They read it on the airplane. They went through it in the train. By the time they got to where they were going, they reached out to him. They said, this makes sense to me. You don't have to explain what you're going to do for me. It's here in the book. You're hired. And he, he laid that out for me. And I was like, wow. All right. So that makes all the sense in the world. The book doesn't have to sell more than four copies. It matters who picks them up. And meanwhile, you th- I, I, are you like over 100,000, over 500,000? Do you know your number of copies sold? We're going to get a report this month. I know that globally we were over a million last year. Not, and we're going to be over a million. When I get the report, I expect this to be over a million domestically. So that's, that's not even cutting the global, counting the global sales. We're, we're, I know we're over a million. So if you, if you had to wrap up your top three tips for somebody who wants to launch a book successfully, would you say Quora is one? Quora, yeah. Quora, go on Quora. Number two? Take... Take whatever visibility that you can get. Take every podcast. Just be determined to outwork people. You'll get smarter every step of the way. You know, pay attention to the impact. But core, core is a hack. Core is absolutely a hack. And, I'd, and, and that's one of the quickest ones because they're looking for content. And go out there and be, you know, get on, be willing to be interviewed. They're podcasters. You know, kind of get your act together. But you're gonna you're, you're gonna get it together as you go. Listen to I used to listen to TED talks and ask myself what made this TED talk interesting. Um, is it Angela Duckworth with Grit? Does that mm-hmm. sound right? Mm-hmm. She got one of the shortest TED talks out there. Like it's the, the shortest. I mean, they're trying to hit a sweet spot, twelve to fourteen minutes. I think she's she's there for eight. It's riveting. So. The podcast interviews have to be equated to TED Talks because you got to hold people's attention. So what makes Angela Duckworth interesting? you got to listen to it like four or five times before it jumps out of you. It's so subtle. You know, what makes Chris Rock interesting? You know, Chris Rock, while his material is interesting, it, the real critical issue is his tone of voice. You know, he's a master. You know, Chris Rock could read the phone book and he'd have you howling in stitches. You know, so what is it that makes these people interesting? 
you're going you're gonna to learn that as you go on a podcast. First podcast you go on, you're going to, when you go back and listen to it, you're going to be horrified. <laughs> so, all right, yeah, get that baby out of the way. And then, then learn, 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 figure out what you learned from it. Do you listen to the media you, you do or you just did in the beginning? I did in the beginning. And then I'll just, I got a better feel for it now as we go. And then, you know, I just, I'm, I'm a learn by doing guy, but learning, you know, heavily analyzing it along the way. And then, and then taking feedback and studying it. You know, not just experiencing it, but studying it in some for, format. You know, I don't, I don't study my podcast interviews as much as I study other much shorter form uh, audible things, so to speak, which is, again, the TED Talks, the comedy routines. What is it about this guy that's making me stop in my tracks, guy or gal? Again, Angela Duckworth. What was it about that that made, made, made her catch my attention over and over and over again and get so many views? Um, and obviously this podcast is an exception to your not listening anymore because you will be listening to this hundreds of times in order to make up from our Facebook misunderstandings. That well, correct? no, really, I listen to it so much just so I can hear your voice. <laughs> I don't have the radio DJ late night voice or whatever you call it. Is that what it's called? The radio DJ? No, you got it. You know, you got, there's a playfulness to your voice. I mean, and that's what makes it uh, just so, so fun to listen to. And, and there's, there's, there's neurobiology behind that that makes it a very good thing so you've got this great placeful voice which is a phenomenal thing to listen to and, and fun and, and draws people back in god you're a fun interview i will tell you what i used to do a lot of on-air tv and i once read on a on a site anna david has a voice for print and I thought that was pretty funny. I thought it was funny. And I actually went to a voice coach who wanted to charge me $300 an hour to learn how to talk in a way that bothered people less. And I was like, you know what? I can't. I can't. Ah, well, you know, yeah. I mean, well, that's, a, you know, the cheap shot. You know, never, the critic that wrote that is, was a frustrated anchor themselves, a frustrated personality. I mean, that's, you know, criticism, you know, is envy. Yeah. You know, it's true. You know, if, you know some, somebody says, what do you say to your critics? Well, criticism was born of envy. And what's envy born out of? In a, a realistic assessment of their own inadequate behavior. I mean, every movie critic has got a screenplay in a desk that nobody bought. So then they're going to criticize other people because they're, they're, you know, they're not good at it the, themselves. And a person that you want to learn from, who you would take criticism from, the person you would trade places with, ain't going to tell you unless you ask because they hate critics themselves and they don't want to be another creep, cheap critic. So you go to somebody that you want to be like and you say, how do, how do I duplicate your success? Speaking of people, people want to be like, and I swear to God, I'm going to let you go because I know how busy you are. What I love in the Genius Network community is like, I think all those guys want to be you. I do. <laughs> they're, these entrepreneurs are like, he, ha yeah, he was living a dangerous life. Um, and, and I've had many men I know who saw my Instagram post that you were in. They were like, you know this guy. The women too. Obviously the women too. But I think the men just want to be you. They do. They really do. Um, Chris, this is it. I can't thank you enough for doing this. And um, I can't wait to see you again. 
Yeah, this was a fun interview. Um, Thank you for hounding me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.